This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And this is our preview podcast for the Commander's game against Green Bay. Logan, it feels like forever since this team has actually played, in part because the Thursday night game obviously played a week ago. Uh, Today, as we record this, a week ago yesterday, as most people are hearing it. Uh, So you have a little bit longer than your Sunday-to-Sunday rhythm, but also considering all of the news on and off the field, it just feels like forever since this team's actually played a game. I mean, it has. I mean, it's been a while, right? And I think also like some of the other media stuff has made it you know, like there's more stuff going on outside that makes it uh, a different news cycle. But I do think that, yeah, it's been a while since the team has played a game and excited to check it out. Do you ever like, do you ever remember anything like that as a player? Not necessarily like this much, but I don't know. You played here. So I'm sure there's some off the field story at some point that uh, took away a lot of attention, but like just in general, that Thursday to Sunday rhythm, like how different does it feel uh, as a player? I mean, it's really nice, actually, because you do get some time off. Like in season, usually you get zero time off. And people say, oh, well, you guys get, um, you know, Tuesday off normally or Monday, depending on how the coach wants to do it. But you're in the building on those days, right? You're kind of getting ready mentally for whatever's coming up. And so the nice thing about having a, this this practice schedule or this different kind of week distribution is that you get a day, you know, usually that is just your day. So, you know, go sleep, go to the mall, do whatever you're going to do and, it's just a nice kind of decompress, then get back into the work. Um, so I, I always kind of enjoyed Thursday night games, not the week leading up, but the week after, because you got you know, like you get an extra day and, um, you you know, you'll practice still probably like so you play Thursday, you're probably coming on Friday, watch the film Saturday off Sunday practice Monday off and then get into your normal work week, which is, again, it's just nice to have a little bit more time to kind of let the body heal up and feel better. Would you have watched the Packers game if you were playing? Like, would you have watched it live? Probably, yeah. If, like, you know, sometimes guys get together, you know, it depends on when it was. And, um, like, you know, if it's a primetime game, for sure, a lot of guys would go back in the day to, like, Buffalo Wild Wings, 
have a couple of beers and, you know, hot wings and just watch, you know, maybe the first half together as a group. And it's tough. It's tough watching football like that with a bunch of guys who are really into football because it's not a very like soothing experience because everyone's like <laughs> really like they're more dialed in than they probably should be, you know, and it's like uh, so. Yeah, but guys, guys would do that for sure. Do you bring a notebook? Would you be like, all right, guys, let's <laughs> no. go. I was pretty chill in that situation because I'm like, this is I'm not I'm going to actually watch this for real later yeah you know like for right. real and meaning like i'm gonna do my actual prep on this game later i would usually just watch it to kind of it's there's something different you know like when you're in season like you watch exclusively all 22 usually and there's something different about actually watching a game because you get a feel for kind of the ebbs and flows offense defense and special teams so you'll be watching a game that like you know on all, all 22 and you'll have no idea that they blocked the punt or they uh, muffed the snap or whatever you know whatever it is that started the drive because you're just watching clips and so to see it kind of take place in real time be like oh that that was a big deal right oh that guy should have fair caught that punt or whatever it is and then kind of seeing that stack is always just kind of gives you a different perspective which is nice all right uh as we get into the packers um their offense is a mess right sure. now um aaron Rodgers' thumb is clearly bothering him but what else is going on with that offense where it's it's gone from Rodgers winning two straight mvps and incredibly prolific to whatever version this is right now where they're averaging points per game the same as Washington is. And we've talked, obviously, at nauseum on how, uh, how much Washington's offense is struggling. So I think we should maybe break this up into a couple parts. I, I think it all kind of starts with Aaron Rodgers. And I know he's a little bit banged up or whatever it may be, but he is not playing at a way in a way that's even near kind of an MVP caliber Um He's struggling to kind of read defenses. He's not not struggling to read defense. He just doesn't look overly confident in what his receivers are doing. He doesn't look overly confident in the offensive line protection. In a lot of ways, it looks like kind of how Carson's looked the past couple of weeks. You're like, man, you know, Aaron, you got to kind of make that throw. Or you should make that read. Or why'd you put the ball so much air on that ball? There's all these kind of little decisions. Now, there's still flash plays, but he definitely looks unsettled. And again, some of that's, you know, it's, it's multifactorial. You can talk about the receivers. Um, losing Adams, I think, has been a huge deal for him. He's They've got Romeo Dubs. They've got um, Alan Lazard, who's been probably his most consistent target of that group. But nobody that I think you can, like, turn to and say you are going to win versus man-to-man -man coverage. I saw an inter inter interesting statistic recently on PFF about how they are seeing more man-to-man -man coverage in high-leverage situations than they've ever seen before. A little bit of that's the skill position, guys. But this, the author of this article was kind of postulating that defenses are doing that to get Aaron to throw low percentage, you know, kind of seams, big box fades, fades, which are traditionally very good against man, especially when you have a guy like Adams on the roster, to kind of encourage them to, to be in bad situations on fourth down because those are often falling incomplete. Because, again, while Alan Lazard is good in that area, He's not Adams. And while Dubs has shown some proclivity, I think he had some big plays. I forget who it was against the New England Patriots, I want to say. Um, it's not as consistent as it was. So there's that element. And then there's also the trust element. You can tell guys are running wrong routes. They're running into each other. They're just not as sharp as that offense has traditionally looked. So that's just the skill position, guys. Obviously, Aaron has his own culpability in that. And then the offensive line, I think, is maybe the biggest difference from last year like last year that group was playing you know not a not necessarily a bunch of big name guys necessarily but against a bunch of guys who are playing better collectively as a group and they've had to move some pieces around 
and it's really impacted their efficiency. And so like, I've been reading a lot of green Bay stuff. Like you do when you're prepping for a week, they're talking about how AJ Dillon looks terrible. Aaron Jones looks like he's lost a step. And to me, that criticism comes from poor line play and guys mm-hmm. not understanding exactly what they're doing. Cause like when I see, you know, AJ Dillon is still making the first guy miss or breaking a tackle. And Aaron Jones has still got tremendous bursts. Like check out the new England game. He was, he looked excellent in that game. And um, and so the O-line to me is the biggest differentiator. And obviously scheme. They've kind of got away from some of the stuff they were really good at last year. They're running A.J. Dillon from the like the sidecar gun position, which is not like where you want a 250-pound back, in my opinion, running from. So I do think that there's a lot of things going on there. There's scheme, the O-line. There's um, you know the skill position guys and their lack of maturity. And then Aaron Rodgers. So I think there's a lot of elements there that make this offense look not great. So when you talk about the scheme stuff, let's start there. Like, is that choices that LaFleur and company you think are making because they don't trust their O-line or they don't trust their skill players or they don't have the, the horses to do that stuff anymore? Or is sure. it just a, a shift in philosophy that happens season to season? And there's a potential that they shift back to that stuff and do a little self-scouting and go, hey, we need to do more of this because it worked for us in the past and they get back on track this week. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think the thing that sticks out to me about that group right now is that they still are tremendously well-schemed. Um, like their play-action shots are excellent. They're very well designed. They get great pull on the linebackers. They're good at finding isolation routes in terms of, you know, when you have a two-man route combination, you need to make sure you're accounting for the other coverage players, and they're good at getting those coverage players to fit their run responsibilities and creating a ton of space. Uh, Against the Giants, for example, Aaron missed a wide-open Romeo Dubs on a post. You know, again, there's that Aaron Rodgers kind of lack of efficiency. And I think the other thing is that this team last year was a run-first team. I think a lot of people say that doesn't make sense because Aaron Rodgers is on the team, but I think they were like, I think they were second or third last year. You can double check me on this um, in terms of runs called. Um, And obviously they're running a lot of plays, but they were very, very high in runs called and percentages of runs called. It was like Tennessee, New Orleans, Green Bay or something like that. And I think that they have become way less efficient running the football. I mean, AJ Dillon's averaging like one whole less yard per carry um, same thing with Jones. It's it's a significant thing that's happening. And so the play action, it's not that the play actions become less efficient. It's they just can't sustain drives the same way. I mean, a huge feature of their offense, quite frankly, is the RPO stuff from gun, which I like I said, I think AJ Dillon's less effective there. And then they throw like a lot of bubble screens. It looks a lot like Scott Turner's offense in that way, right? First and second down, bubble screens, RPOs that aren't overly efficient in terms of like keeping you on schedule. And, um, and I think that to me is like the biggest difference. Like the shot plays are still there. They still run a lot of drift. Alan Lazard against, oh gosh, was it the giants or the Patriots had like a hundred yards receiving off a drift, you know? And so it's still there. It's still effective, but they just aren't getting to it as frequently. They're not as effective in their run game. And um, they're not, they're not, they're really not effective on third down in terms of drop back passing. So obviously you're not going to run play action pass on third down if it's third and eight. And if you're in third and eight more, cause you've, you got a three yard run, two yard run on first down, you run your play action on second down, you're in third and eight. They've just been wildly inefficient there because they don't have that, that horse to go to in uh, Devonte Adams. With Rogers, the decision-making part of it is, is really interesting. The yeah. fact that you say like, yeah, no, it's like, he's not seeing the field as well, or, you know, guys aren't, 
he's not hitting the guys like he, he used to. And I wonder how much of that is the thumb. Um, you know, some of these, just what's like going things, on with this thumb? We don't know. I, I mean, at least I don't know like entirely what's wrong with it, but he, uh, he's got a thumb injury of some kind. Mm. Has um, it been there the whole year? So he heard it on that final play of the giants game in London when he went to go throw the hail Mary got mm. uh, rocked instead. And, uh, Obviously, it was bothering him last week against the Jets. You can see that in some of the throws. Um, and I always wonder when guys are hurt. And I wondered about some of this with like Carson uh, on Thursday night. Uh, he only throws for those 99 yards. Like pain can cloud your mind um, mm -hmm. if you're thinking about it. So there's obvious physical limitations of you can't grip the football as well or it might slip out. Or, you know, Rodgers had that one play, uh, I think it was in the second quarter last week, where he takes a hit, but it, the ball actually like flies out of the back of his hand before he uh, before he gets hit. And you just wonder like how much of that is physical, but also how much of that is mental. So like when you watch him and try to figure out what is going on there, how much of this is like, sees it well, misses throw, especially last week uh, when that thumb injury was a factor, how much of it is like, sees it, misses throw versus he just doesn't trust his guys uh, based off what you're able to tell on film. Yeah. I mean, they looked really, I don't say really bad. They just did not look very good last week. Couldn't really look good. So a big part of that is it kind of goes back to the stuff we were talking about before. Like he does not look comfortable or confident with certain guys. He's obviously got a very high comfort level with Alan Lazard. Like that is his guy. He wants to throw him the football. And, um, and I get that. I understand that. I actually like Alan Lazard as a player. I think he blocks well. I think he makes contested catches. You know, he's a big guy, six, five, 230 pounds, but you can't run an offense entirely through Alan Lazard like he needs if he's going to be your one he needs a strong number two and Romeo Dubs is coming along but there's times where you can tell Romeo is still figuring it out you know and mm -hmm. I think they've also been disappointed with Christian Watson and his development that's the second round pick that they traded up for to th spot 34 the big kid uh, 6'4 205 pounds out of North Dakota who ran the 4-3 or whatever he ran for two. So he just hasn't come along in a nice way. He's dealing with an injury as well. So they do have some young playmakers. Yeah. And by the way, just real quick, Randall Cobb being hurt is a big deal for them because that's like, that's Rogers ultimate. I trust that guy. Got sure. Him. And so he was like the big third down guy. So him being out, I think it, the offense kind of focuses now on Allen, you know, uh, Allen Lazard, like that's kind of, and it's been the focus and Romeo dubs, like I said, has come along and he's had some nice splash plays and showing upside. So if he was a receiver, on the commanders, I'd be like, yeah, really excited about Romeo. But the chemistry issue there with Rodgers is a little bit concerning. Like, Jahan has been tremendous with Carson. Like, they've obviously got great chemistry. The chemistry with Dubs is not the same. And the chemistry with Watson is non-existent. So there's there's three, there's two receivers in your offense that you can tell he doesn't like throwing the football to. So it was Al Nazard, Cobb, Robert Tunyon, Ryan Tunyon, Robert Tunyon, whatever Robert. his name is. Yeah. yeah. The tight end who is kind of he had a big game last week against the Jets. But outside of those guys, it's Aaron Jones. It's AJ Dillon. They had over half the targets last week against the Jets, over half the targets against the Giants, or almost half. So again, the offense has changed pretty dramatically from what people think of when they think of the Green Bay Packers. It's not that same thing. Aaron, again, like I said, has not looked like Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't look quite the same. And I think that that is a like I said, it's a reflection of the skill position, his chemistry. But to me, it's also something with his process is different. He's not doing the same things he normally does. He's not playing at that high level. He's not elevating that group. He kind of looks like Ryan Tannehill or, you know, Carson Wentz. Like that's honestly how he's looked the past couple of weeks. And I'm not saying he can't 
get out of that. But that's just right. How that's looked. the terrifying yeah. thing. Is right. like, okay, well, he's one week away from being Aaron Rodgers, um, and you know, if it happens this week, then you're screwed. Um, I mean, you think back to the game last year and some of the magic that he made. We're just like, oh god, it's Aaron Rodgers, and and he still can extend plays. Like he can still do all that stuff. The question is, can he connect with the receivers? Um, the, the guy they brought in to hopefully be some of the solution for them in the offseason was Sammy Watkins. Yes. He's been on IR with a hamstring injury. Matt Lafleur saying on Wednesday that he would be a limited participant, but uh, cautioning that he wouldn't necessarily play against the commander. So there's a chance that Watkins is back, but more than likely uh, he's not going to be good to go yet. Um, but you know, the, the other interesting thing with the Packers offense to wrap up this part of the pod is Rogers comments this week. Uh, he said kind of the same thing after the game on Sunday. And then, you know, he does his weekly appearance with Pat McAfee has been saying the same thing. Like we need to simplify. What does a simpler version of the Packers offense look like? And <laughs> and how could that be more effective? Slash what are the, you know, we haven't really, we've talked a lot about the Packers and what they do, like the commanders matchup wise, like what, what do they do against what you expect uh, Green Bay to do? Yeah. So I think the interesting thing is, when he said that, I was a little bit surprised, right? It's not like, you know, I think when you watch, you know, Kansas City, when you watch San Francisco, when you watch Miami, they're, you're like this, they're doing a lot of stuff. You can tell there's a lot of responsibility on these guys. And there is an element of like the check with me kind of plays, the can plays, calling two plays at the line of scrimmage. There's an element of that in Green Bay. But in terms of pass concepts, to me, most of the neurological load and responsibility falls on the tight ends and the running backs. They're the ones that have to carry a lot of that in terms of protections and things like that. The receivers, I don't necessarily see what they do as being overly challenging. I mean, I'm sure it is to a certain extent. And maybe when you got a guy like Dubs coming from Nevada, a really simplified kind of air raid offense, it's it's a little bit hard to kind of keep up because he's the guy that I see consistently making mistakes right like in terms of running routes and bumping into people and it's not like he does it every single play but it you know there's two or three a game where you're like that doesn't look right and yeah who's who's the crux of it it's 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 that guy so um i think that's an element so i was surprised by that quite frankly and you know matt lafleur came out and was basically like you know i i don't agree with that or i don't understand what he's saying when he says that and i i'm obviously i'm friends with matt or i i know matt and i have a relationship with matt I would side with Matt based on the film, but Aaron Rodgers obviously has a perspective on that and, and more insight on the offense and what's happening than I do. Yeah. I also think though that Aaron Rodgers is no dummy on media stuff. Um, you know, sometimes he said some crazy stuff away from football, but I also think he knows what he's doing there. Like he, I could see him saying something to kind of throw people off the scent and not having any basis in fact or reality. Um, <laughs> and so if he's like, ah, oh, we need to simplify it. It gets people talking about that. And then he's like, all right, Matt, let's, let's get to work and, do what we actually need Maybe. to do. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I always take a little bit of what Roger says with a grain of salt, um, whether it's on purpose or whether he's just like, you know, that dude says stuff. And so, you know, it is, that is what it is. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how he looks because obviously he can make a lot of things happen on his own outside of scheme, outside of uh, the timing of a play. And if they aren't disciplined in what they they're doing, like, you know, you have a slip up deep, takes one play takes one explosive and especially if the offense is not going to be super productive which we don't know yet and we'll talk about that in a moment um what our prediction is you know it, it doesn't take it takes two to three plays to completely change a game uh where you give up a couple touchdowns and on plays you otherwise would have gotten stops and that's that's all teams have needed to beat the commanders over the last couple of weeks 
Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I, yes, I agree. But I do think what you you look at what the Jets did, you look at what the Giants did, you look at what New England did, and they're playing a little bit more man. And one of the reasons I think you do that is because there's nobody outside of Aaron Jones that ex- scares you from an explosive play standpoint. And um, you know, I, like I said, I really like Alan Lazard. I think he's a good football player. But I think you bring in a guy like Benjamin St. Juice to match up with a guy like Alan Lazard, and that's perfectly mm. in. Benjamin St. Juice wheelhouse. And I think if you say, how does Kendall match up with dubs? I think a veteran cornerback in Kendall Fuller should win that matchup nine times out of 10. Randall Cobb's out, right? I think um, Wild Goose, whoever the third guy is, I think it's Armani. Or yeah, not Armani. Yeah, yeah, Amari Rogers. Amari Rogers. Yeah, thank you. From Clemson, I think he's a good football player, but I think you feel okay about that. So I, I say adopt the same principle because what they've been doing. And this is a response that they've cultivated over the last couple of years since Matt's been there is when they get press man, they throw a fade. Fades are not a high percentage throw. You are basically getting them to throw away a down when you do that. That's what teams have been doing the past couple of weeks. It's 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 like clockwork. It's like press man, we're going to throw a fade. Sometimes Alan Lazard comes down with it. Most of the time, no. You know, not most of the time, no, but it's just it, it's not there. Whether he's throwing it to Dubs, Cobbs, whoever it is, he hasn't been hitting it with the same regularity. Rogers, I'm talking about. So that's what I would say. I would say lean into that. I know you don't want to be that guy too much, but he, that's giving them a lot of problems. Let's do that. Let's see if we can take care of that because you seem to have the personnel to match up with those guys and feel good about the results of that matchup. The other thing I'd say is, um, and then Cam Curl can match Aaron Jones because he's excellent in that area, and I think that you feel good about that whole thing. The other thing that I think is absolutely 1,000% the key to this game is making sure you keep A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones quiet in the run game. This is a – get this out of your mind that this is Packers who's throwing the ball over the yard. This is a run-first football team. If you cannot stop the run versus this football team, they will win the game, much like Tennessee. It's all—it's not the same as Tennessee because Aaron Rodgers is more dynamic than Tannehill, but its it feels like that right now on Thursday going into the game. Like if you can't stop the run, everyone, everyone they've played the past couple weeks has been able to do that. You should be able to get that done. I watched uh, Quentin Williams last week absolutely annihilate them. Man, Dex- I saw him. I saw his his just keep flashing, and I'm like, John Allen's got to be watching this tape, being pumped as the three technique in this defense. And Dexter Lawrence the week before the the nose guard was absolutely on fire. the The interior of that offensive line and the right tackle are not playing at a high level right now. They just they don't seem to understand conceptually what's happening. Like I see guys running outside zone, for example. And the back's an offset gun, which, again, they didn't do a lot of last year, but they're overreaching everything. The back's got to make two guys miss in the backfield just to get back to line of scrimmage. This is a game that they should be able to take advantage of that 1,000%. Now, they do do some really fun, innovative game plan stuff from a run game standpoint. And I would, if I was Matt LaFleur, I would wind back the clock and bring some of that stuff back. They show it, but they don't rely on it the same way that they did last year. So if I'm Jack, I'm thinking – they're in a little bit of a rut. This is the strength of their team. How do you get to the strength? And it's getting to more of these fun game plan runs. I would expect to see some of that this week. If I'm if I'm kind of looking into my crystal ball, I would make sure I have some type of contingency in the in the bag for those opportunities. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them. 
and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. Greg Hoffman, Logan Paulson. All right, when you talk about the commander's offense, obviously everything's going to revolve around the quarterback. Uh, as you've had a chance to review a little bit more this week, maybe I don't know if you went back and watched some of training camp or, or what you did in terms of preparing for Heineke. You know, obviously they played him last year, uh, did Green Bay. Uh, so what do you what do you think this offense looks like this week? What are some of the game plan type of things that that you think Scott Turner would be installing? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good question. Um, I think the big thing to me is that. I would expect this offense to become a little bit more complex and it's not like they were doing anything overly complex last year, but I went back and watched all of Taylor Heineke's key plays from last year. So that's interceptions, incomplete passes um, and uh, turnover worthy plays, all that kind of stuff, touchdowns, big plays, all this stuff. And what I found was that the offense last year was much more diverse through the first five games of the season. And I think that is because of Taylor's comfort level with the offense and what he can get to. So I would expect Scott to, open up the game plan a little bit compared to what we've seen the past couple of weeks. I think Taylor does really well in terms of, um, you know, this isn't his reputation, but last year I think he did some good things in terms of anticipating throws. I think in training camp you saw kind of a continued development of that anticipation, which is good. And I think this offense relies a lot on that. So I would expect to see a lot of deep in cuts versus their cover three. They play it. Uh, um, Green Bay plays an aggressive match cover three. They're very good at it. They run a little bit more quarters than I would uh, have thought, which is, you know, that four across the back there, but they're also playing a match philosophy there. Uh, you're going to need to hit some deep in cuts. And I know they that's one thing that has been missing from this offense with Carson. I know that's something Scott wants in the offense. And I know Taylor did a nice job with some of that stuff last year. Um, so that's what I, I would expect that, you know, something attacking the middle of the field, timing routes, um, I would expect them to kind of imp- implement some type of quarterback running game, probably not to be called five to seven times a game, probably more like a two to three times a game call that would allow them to get first downs, which I think is excellent. Um, but yeah, I think I, I would expect this offense to be a little bit more efficient this week. I think there's going to be more in. I think they're going to be able to execute it more effectively because when you look at training camp, when you look at OTAs, Taylor was not didn't have the high-end stuff that Carson did. But the down-to-down, play-to-play type stuff was was better. So I would expect this group to be a little bit more consistent. They might not win the game because I think Green Bay's defense is very, very good, um, despite what the media is kind of reporting at the moment. And we'll talk about that more in a second. But that's kind of what I expect from this offense and Taylor. Yeah. Uh, w- obviously, getting the ball to the playmakers has been a huge problem this year, specifically Terry. Uh, his target percentage uh, is down around 16%. It was about 25% last year with Heineke. How much do you expect them to try to get him the ball? And and really the better question I think is like, in what ways does he get the ball more with Heineke than he had been with Wentz? Um, 
I think like the slants, slants that we talked about versus Dallas, I think that stuff's there. Obviously, like the, this is a little bit different coverage philosophy than Dallas, but Dallas runs a lot of cover three. They run it a little bit differently. It's a little bit less matchy. And so what I mean when I say matchy, like matchy is going to look like man. Like that's one thing when you're watching these cutups of Green Bay and watching the games of Green Bay's defense, they're in cover three, but it looks, it feels like man. But then you're like, oh, these guys are in zone, like these three players. And you can see kind of how they're passing stuff off. So I think understanding the difference in approach and how to kind of take advantage of that stuff is going to be really important for this group. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I would expect to see like slants. I mentioned the deep in cuts already. That's very good versus cover three, I think. And again, when you're playing an aggressive match coverage, it you have to kind of pull out some of your man-beating philosophy as a route runner, not as a play caller, but as a route runner. So, you know, we, we talk about the skill position guys. We talk about all they bring. This is going to be a week for us to see, like, how good this group has become. Is Jahan back? Um, you know, Curtis, how is he as a route runner? Terry, um, th- I think this is going to be a nice week to kind of test some of that stuff. And then, obviously, Cole, Armani, Logan Thomas, that whole group, Bates, if he's healthy, um, I think will be really nice to see how that how that progresses. Yeah, they've, they've got to establish Terry, and I think they know that. Um Ron was asked a question on how oh, the press conferences are all whacked out this week. So I think it was Tuesday um, about Terry and getting him the ball more. And his answer very much felt like he had gone into the offensive meeting room and been like, Hey, you, I know we've said like, Hey, let's get Terry the ball more. This is a demand. This is a directive. Figure out how to get him the ball um, because his targets are way down and you see how effective he is when he gets uh, when he gets the ball in his hands and, and especially in space, how good he is as a ball carrier. And, and I think probably some level, there's a little bit of frustration of not getting the ball to Curtis Morgan, and getting him more involved in the run game again. And um, obviously, as we've talked about at nauseum on the pod, if you have more plays, you can do all this stuff. So the offensive efficiency that should come with Taylor Heineke at the, at the helm uh, should help all of those things. The other interesting, like, or yeah, if you want to follow up on that real quick, and then I want to talk about another player usage thing that popped up last week. Yeah, so another interesting thing that I just was thinking about while you were talking in terms of efficiency, right, is um, there was a play that uh, against Philadelphia where they ran mesh early on and ended up being a sack. I think we talked about it on the Philly sack podcast, but Terry kind yeah. of comes open late on that play. The one thing I will say about Taylor from training camp is he understands that kind of nuance in this offense. Like there, It's really fun watching him behind the huddle because he, well, even while Carson's in or Sam's in, like you'll see him pointing to throws based on coverage before the quarterback is even to the top of their drop. So I think him being in the offense, like I said, for almost two years now, is going to be extremely advantageous for unlocking some of those concepts that we get frustrated with because teams are matching. But understanding the variation that Terry's running on that one against Philly or how to run the rail versus on mesh and how to get advantage, take advantage of that linebacker, those types of things I think are going to be really exciting to see if he can get that done because, yeah. again, that leads to more touches for Terry. That leads to more touches for the backs. And so, again, those are things we've been calling for. And I think you know while we might not be – enamored with the, how dynamic the Scott Turner offense is. There has been throws that have been missed right. in some of that minutia. So. Right. So the other part of being more efficient is obviously a good running game. How much do you expect to see the running game that we saw in the second half last week? Um, and, and did they unlock something there, the balance between Gibson and Robinson, where obviously in the first half they were extremely reliant on Robinson and it was uh, – was not great, uh, and it felt like Gibson, one of their best weapons, was being ignored, and and the run game itself was not uh, was not very effective. 
Yeah. Um, I, I mean, obviously, you want to get Gibson more touches. You want like his, but you got to find his touches. It's it's really interesting. So I was listening to a lot of Green Bay media this week, and they were like, you know, AJ Dillon's getting more touches. AJ, he's getting too many touches. Aaron Jones needs to get more touches. And I don't disagree with that as on a fundamental level, but I do think AJ Dillon helps set up. Um, Aaron Jones and I think this offense needs to operate on a on a similar principle like AJ Dillon is a very effective runner I don't think he ever like at least when I was watching he doesn't miss cuts like he might not be fast to the hole he's not as dynamic but he is always getting to the right spot which helps kind of keep you even versus badly blocked plays keeps you relatively on schedule and I think that's what Brian Robinson gives you and Aaron Jones is not that he's very he's he's one of my after watching him he's got to be one of my favorite players to watch in the NFL like he is so fun to watch he's explosive he's fast he's physical all those things but those explosive plays come off of the changeup that he brings to AJ Dillon and I think this offense can abide by a similar principle I think they did a really nice job last week of saying we these are these are Gibson's touches in the run game that we want to get them. Right. Kind of game plan runs, much like they used Tony Pollard last year in Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. Very specific game plan runs. And I think that Brian Robinson keeps you on schedule. He's going to average you that three and a half to four and a half yards per game. It's never going to be overly flashy, but he's not going to miss cuts. And he's not he's not going to, you know, kind of get you behind. He will get you, what's blocked. Yeah, and and and, and elevate more. the group and elevate the group. Like I think that's the other thing. When you watch Robinson run, much like AJ Dillon, much like Zeke too, mm-hmm. he understands kind of how to ride the wave, where the cutback is, how to set up blocks, and that's very valuable, especially on first and second down. But when you have an opportunity to kind of hit that big play, hit that chunk play to Antonio Gibson, let's make sure you get that called. So I would like to see them maybe expand that package of five runs to maybe 10 runs this week and make sure they get those called. But again, if you're not executing at a high level, if you're not converting on third down, you don't get to those plays. So it's got to be kind of, uh, it, it's multi, again, it's, I'm going to say this word a lot on this podcast. It's multifactorial. Like, can you execute in the passing game on third down? So you can get those Gibson runs called and can uh, Robinson be effective on first and second down? Cause I will say, you know, even though this green Bay defense has given up a lot of yards, they've all been on, to my eye anyway, game plan specific runs. And what I mean by that is there's a 76-yard run in the Giants game when um, Saquon Barkley's at the Wildcat quarterback that really ups the average there that they hadn't really prepped for. Three three reverses, reverses against the Jets go for approximately 100 yards. So those kind of nuanced game plan runs, which are perfect for Gibson in terms of touch, have been huge the past couple of weeks against this defense. So making sure you have that in the bag, I think is important. When you see something like that on tape as an OC, are you like, we can do that too? Or they're going to be prepared for that? How, what's the next counter off of that in the back? Because like the reverse game to Terry was a part of the game plan against Chicago. Obviously, it's been a part of the game, uh, the game plan with Curtis. Uh, they've tried some of that stuff with Jahan, whether it's wide receiver screens, reverses, whatever. So like if you see that working, are you going yeah, we got them, or are you going, they're going to be ready for it next time. How do we take advantage of whatever their solution is so that we actually still you know, get that counter and mess them up? Yeah, so they ran one of the, one of the touchdowns to Brees Hall, the uh, first or second round running back at Iowa State. Um, he's kind of the home run guy for them in that offense. Yeah, he was awesome last week. Yeah, one of the runs they had was the same run that Gibson had like that big play against in the COVID year against Dallas where it's like it's um, 
it's like a reverse, but underneath. So you're in the gun and then the quarterback like looks like he's going to run to the left and then hands it underneath to the back. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being a nice playoff, like a counter type action. So you're pulling yeah. the guard and stuff. Um, so what I would say is, yeah, let's run. We have that play in the offense, obviously. Let's run that play. But how do we put some window dressing on it so they don't know that it's this play? You know, how do we get Gibson, Gibson in that position? Do we line him up out wide and then jet motion him to a bunch and snap it while he's coming in so they can't kind of pre-snap say, oh, Gibson's lined up in the in the wing spot? So what are some ways you can kind of run that same play, put some window dressing on it, make sure that the defense doesn't um, – you know, doesn't identify what this is, right? So that you can get it called. And I think that that's what, that's what good offensive coordinators do. They take what you did or what you saw the week before and they say, all right, we want to run this play. How do we make sure that they don't mm-hmm. see it? We, do we shift to it? Do we motion to it? Do we get different personnel on the field? Um, and I think that's part of it. And so that's kind of going to be a fun thing if Scott can find a way to get that called and get that executed. Because I know they like that play quite a bit. It's just about making sure that the second you line up in that formation, the Jets aren't going, hey, watch the watch the, yeah, watch the thing that killed us last <laughs> yeah, week. We're right. ready for it. Yeah. Um, additionally, the Jets also did some fun personnel stuff. Uh, I was watching the game back this morning, and uh, Kevin Burkhart, the play-by-play guy, was like, they got both the running backs on the field split out. Interesting formation, and my yeah. ears perked up so high. I was like, oh, wow, you're allowed to do that, huh? Yeah. This is the thing we've been calling for. What can, what can Washington and Turner... Uh, do with that information because a lot of times you do some of that stuff to see what the response is yeah. by a defense and you have to, you do it in your first 15 scripted you know to to try to figure out okay how do we take advantage of it later in the game well if you already have the information on something that is often more unique to you but not obviously wholly unique because a lot of teams don't have the personnel to have two running backs in the game split out so if, if something like that is a part of your game plan you already know how the defense responds to it what do you do with that information so this is something I'm really glad you brought up because it's something we have not talked about at all on the podcast, but I think schematically and when you're game planning, it's extremely relevant. So one of the things that when you're cultivating a game plan, you look at what other teams have done, not because you want to copy what they're doing, but because you're trying to anticipate a defensive response. So how do they match in 21? How do they match in 22? How do they match in 13? How do they match in 11? How do they match in 11 if we put a tight end out here? And again, we can think of all these creative things, but oftentimes the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. So if I if I want to be in, you know, do all this crazy 21 with two backs in the backfield, McKissick and Gibson or whatever it is, I don't oftentimes know how the defenses respond. I can anticipate, oh, they're probably going to match an 11, but what coverage are they going to play? What front are they going to play? What personnel is going to match up with who? And mm-hmm. those questions start adding up really quick if no one's done it. So, you know, we talked about, I think one time, you know, getting in 13 personnel and exploding out. And I remember talking to coaches about that all the time. I was like, this would be great. And one of the things they always came back to is like, we don't know how the defense is going to respond. And we prefer to get to stuff where we know the solution and we get them in kind of in a bind. So now that the Jets have shown that ability, obviously, and that they've been in that personnel, you say, that's not a big unknown for us anymore. Obviously, some of the formations might not cross over or whatever, but at least you know the personnel they're going to be in, and you probably know the front they're going to be in, and you're going to yeah. know how they're going to call the strength. And all that stuff helps you kind of grow confidence in saying, okay, well, we know how they're going to respond to this. Let's see if we can um, put ourselves in a good situation with our personnel, like you alluded to, to, to get that done. So I do think that that lends itself to kind of saying, hey, especially because it's recent, let's get these two guys on the field together and see what happens. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Uh, we don't often do a, a larger special teams preview. However, uh, that Jets-Packers game last week had a couple of block kicks. Uh, I don't know how much you watched uh, yeah. special teams tape. Not, not uh, a ton, but I'm familiar with. Yeah, you're a, but you, you played a lot of special teams in your career. Like if, if you're a, in the special teams meeting and the coach gets up and he's like, all right, they blocked a kick and they had one block uh, last week. Like how much does your antenna go up? Wh- what kind of things are, are being talked about and how big of a role could special teams play this week? It definitely ramps up the intensity in a game like this because obviously like with block kicks specifically, like that's something you never want to show up on anybody's radar for. Because I guarantee you, the special teams coordinator here is going to say, what rush did they run? How did they get to it? And can we do the same thing? And I think Quentin Williams blocks the punt. Um, You know, I think they were in like a defensive safe look and he just beats the guard. So obviously you say, well, maybe their guards don't handle, the guard on punt protection doesn't handle big personnel well. So who can we put in here that's a big body? Is FA available? Maybe we can get FA and Casey in here on the same side and really stress this guard out and see if they get that problem corrected. And I guarantee you that's up this week, something like that, because both those guys play on teams. Both those guys are good teams players, and that wouldn't cost you anything to just put them say, hey, let's let's see if we can beat this guard up, see if they've got that issue fixed. Because you, you might end up getting a holding call, getting a block punt, whatever it is. So I remember when I was on punt and I played guard, and anytime there was any, any position let up any kind of pressure or they blocked a kick or we didn't pass off a stunt correctly – I was silently cursing to myself because I knew that we were going to see that. Even if it wasn't my fault, teams were going to test us constantly with that until we had shown over the course of probably three weeks that we had gotten it corrected. And so it's funny because usually when that happens, the pressure rate increases and the number of those looks increases. And so it just is kind of a compounding thing. So I would expect Caster right. to get after these boys this week and really see like, hey, did you get this fixed? Definitely. And then the other part of the special teams game that I am curious about is the return game, because it has been a pretty gigantic non-factor this year for them. Uh, Really probably a net negative in the punt return game, especially where Dax has fielded a couple, like he hasn't really produced anything on a positive. I'm not saying like he's a huge net negative, but like he he hasn't really produced any major positive returns. And there's been a couple that he's fielded like inside the 10 where you're like, man, that was probably one you should have let go. Um, and so again, like two or three, but over the course of six games, sure. those types of things add up. And especially when your offense has struggled from an efficiency standpoint, or you're not getting a ton of first downs, you're starting to lose field position battles and, and these things add up and the margins are slim in NFL games. So when, when you watch, uh, you know, any of the stuff that you've seen on the return game, how much of this is a team wide issue? They're not blocking it up great or whatever it may be versus, 
hey, if, if Gibson starts returning kicks and on the punt return side, maybe they get Jahan in there on some bigger situations, which they've said is on the table but haven't done yet. Could a, you know, Dax is a safe returner. Could a more aggressive, more skilled returner with some higher upside make a difference and help this team get in better situations to score points? So to add a, just a little bit of nuance and just my opinion, yeah. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I actually think Dax has been good as a punt returner, like probably like a B. I think he okay. really fell on his face as a kick returner because he's taking balls out from, you know, three yards deep and mm. just making, I thought as a kick returner, his decision-making process was not as effective as it's been as a punt returner. I think he's done a really okay. nice catching punts and I think he gets enough. He gets 10 yards, whatever. Like that's, that's good punt returning. It's not elite obviously, but it's solid. It's not going to put you in a bad spot. So I do like that they've made a transition to Gibson here. I think that that is a good thing. I think if they can get him some touches there, I think that speaks to his skill set a little bit better. Um, I think he's going to be able to catch those balls easier. And I think it's going to, again, take some of that responsibility off Dax because I don't think he was excelling in that area anyway. And I, I, so I think that's, I think that is a good thing long-term. I think uh, Gibson had his first return last week or the week before. Yeah, the problem was they played Chicago and Chicago didn't score. So he had like the second half kickoff and that was it. Yeah. So hopefully this week, uh, same thing, actually. They don't score any points. But yeah, I mean, hey, yeah, you don't want your kicker returner out there a ton, but uh, if but he again, is out there, you, you want him to be effective. But yeah, but again, those touches, I'm excited to see what he does with those because I think those fit him. Uh, again, he's explosive. He's big. He's got good vision. He can break tackles. That's that's a nice fit for him in this in this special teams landscape. And I think that'll be good, good for this team. Do you think that they should be using Jahan as a punt returner in certain situations? I My answer is no, um, but in certain situations, yes. Like, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you don't want him back there. I know a lot of fans like, get Jahan back there. He's He's been your most consistent offensive weapon when he's not hurt. You don't want him to get hurt on a punt. Like, you, de- like you can't afford that at this point of the year. You're trying to win games. So, obviously, like much like they would use uh, Deshaun Jackson when he was here, mm-hmm. They put them in in specific situations when you got to have it and see if you could kind of manufacture a big play. And I think that's – I would like to see them do that at some point, but I don't think there's been a call to do that yet. If if you can – There hasn't there hasn't been one where he's – there's been a couple where I'm like, man, I wish he was back here. Right. Um, and the, the, the hard part too is because they've struggled offensively and they haven't gotten their guys' touches, I'm kind of like – like, yeah, let's lower that that bar a little bit. Let's not make him the full-time returner. I'm not advocating for that at all. But let's lower that bar of, hey, we could use a big play here to we're struggling on offense. Let's see if we can get something going. Yeah. Uh, and I think they've they've just kind of been more on that it break glass in case of emergency. And we haven't necessarily reached emergency, but we have certainly hit the bar of could use a spark. And there's been one or two where they've been backed up you know, like the, the opposing team is punting yeah. out their own end zone. And you're like, these are the kinds of situations where teams max protect. You get a little bit more space. Like, let's stick him back there and and get him some extra touches as a punt returner in space and see if you can. I mean, even if you don't score, set up where you're, in, you're starting to drive in field goal range. And I think that bar should be, as long as he's healthy, a little bit lower than it has been. Um, but I also understand, especially with him coming off of injury, uh, and how much they've struggled in the two games without him. Uh, and, and especially you think of the Tennessee game in the red zone where they're at the two yard line and can't punch it in. And he's been their best red zone guy. I understand not wanting to expose him in that way. 
I think you bring up a fantastic point, and I'm kind of mad I didn't think of it. But when the offense is struggling, that's the guy, right? If you need a guy to make a play, why not? It's not like he's catching 15 balls a game. It's not even like he's getting 15 targets. He's getting five targets. So finding a way to maximize those touches and put them in a good spot, I could see that. I I, I like the lower threshold idea. I like if they're backed up. I like if you got to have it before the half or whatever it is. Right. And um, so like the Chiefs used to do this with Tyreek, right? Yeah. They the, the Washington used to do this with Deshaun, where like it was break glass in case of emergency, which hilariously the most famous time that he was the glass was broken was a Monday night game against Dallas in 2016, I want to say, 2015-2016, and he muffed the punt and the game was over. Um but he also obviously had some monster returns throughout his career and you understand why he's back there in those situations, but Deshaun was a very break glass in case of absolute emergency. There's eight seconds left in the game. They're going to punt, and let's see if he can do the miracle at the Meadowlands thing that he did uh, when he was with the Eagles. The Chiefs, if they got a favorable return situation, would put Tyreek back there. And I would be in favor of something closer to that until they can figure out how to get more efficient offense, get guys more touches. Uh, But it's just, they have so many weapons on offense that trying to get Jahan and Terry, and Curtis, and Gibson, and Robinson, and McKissick, and Logan Thomas, like all these guys' touches, that if you can create an extra play for Dotson, it seems like a good use of of his skills. You know, this is, we're getting maybe off track here, but can Curtis return kick, uh, punts? Has he done that before? He is not. I looked this up when Jahan was out because there was one of those situations that popped up, and I was I had the tweet typed, like, I would love to see Curtis return punts here. And I was like, let me make sure he's actually done that. He hasn't. Um, he's returned kicks, kicks. though. But I, I would have to assume that he could, like, and has done it in high school or something, in college. I, you know, look, that's different than doing it in the NFL. Uh, if it were your, is a true emergency situation, like, could you figure out something? Could you figure out a, a trick play to get him the ball on a reverse? Like, right. you know, I don't know how, how easy that is to sneak a guy off the sideline and kind of just throw him out there uh, without the other team noticing uh, within the 40-second play clock. Um, but, yeah, Curtis is another guy that I definitely have thought of, but he actually has not returned punts in his career. And I think that's important for fans to understand is that there it's a different catch. And a lot of people say catching a punt is the most difficult catch in football. So you need somebody who can catch the football back there. And that's one of the reasons I don't think you'll see Gibson back there. Obviously, I think one of the reasons why you don't see Curtis back there and why you do see a guy like Dax back there is because he's hyper-consistent in catching the football. And... Jahan, one of the things when you're looking at his punt return tape from college is he doesn't drop punts. So I think you do feel good about getting a guy like Jahan back there because of that ability to make that really difficult catch and make good decisions. Obviously, I think Curtis, the reason I brought Curtis up is I thought his skill set, kind of his short area quickness and shake would really fit with catching punts because of the space and because of the return style. But remember, you have to be able to catch the ball. I know that seems obvious, but a lot of people forget that. Like they have to be able to do that first and foremost. Right. Uh, Curtis returned 10 kickoffs in 2017 for Carolina, 10 in 2018 for Carolina, but he has not returned a kick since 2018 and he has zero career punt returns. Uh, Anything else in the Green Bay game? Uh, Uh, Offense, defense, special teams? Yeah, just to touch on their defense, we talked about it a little bit. I think they've got some really good players. Um, you know, Kenny Clark on the inside has been good. Their no, their backup nose guard has actually been fairly good in uh, like, kind of like the Ridgeway kind of category of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, linebackers. Um, Campbell, who was maybe the highest graded defensive player on PFF last year, is not playing to that same level. Quay Walker, their first-round pick, 
they're kind of running through like a little bit of a Jamin Davis scenario with him. Like, mm-hmm. where does he fit? He's busting coverages. Um, so they've been kind of going to more dime and stuff like that. And then um, obviously uh, Alexander, I forget his first name, is, you know, many people. Uh, Jair Alexander, the corner. Yeah. Top five corner in the NFL. But again, I, I do think not playing as well. And I, I, I think a big reason of that is much like this team here. It's because the offense has been struggling so bad. They're just on the field more. They're seeing more opportunities, but they are a good group. And this is not going to be like, I think fans see the stat line, they hear they're losing and they think the defense is bad. Like the defense to me jumps out on the, off the tape and especially, um, God, number 52 for them. Uh, the kid from Michigan first round pick a couple years ago. Uh, yeah. Rashawn Gary, Rashawn Gary. I think he's hurt. Can we check that out real quick? But he is, he's gotta be a top, for sure top 10 edge guy in the NFL at this point. And he has just been dominant uh, when he does play and it's just fun to watch in the run game and is developed as a pass rusher. So if he does play, especially given the pass protection situation, that could be a long day for us. But those are some matchups I thought we should touch on before we uh, signed out of the pod. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Preston Smith is there. Uh, yeah. And, and he's uh, – and I don't see an injury designation on Gary. So okay. Okay. Um, looks like he'll be all right. Uh, but, you know, Preston – obviously wants to always have a big day against Washington because they let him walk a couple years ago. Uh, and he's excellent. Uh, so yeah, that it's going to be interesting to, to see how this plays out. I'm very like, I would describe my, my status going into this game like this. I am not hopeful because I do think there are some fundamental flaws here that we have discussed at nauseum and I'm not going to, I'm not going to all of a sudden just be like, ah, everything's fixed now and, and be hopelessly optimistic. That's, that's not good analysis. Um, but I am very excited to see what it looks like under Heineke. Like from, yeah. from like a, this is an experiment lens. Uh, I am very excited to see we've changed one of the variables, one of the most important ones, uh, at quarterback. Now we get to evaluate the controls, uh, AKA Scott Turner at the offensive coordinator position. Yeah, and I think also the fact that Green Bay, despite kind of the pedigree at the quarterback position, despite kind of their recent history, they're they're struggling coming into this game, and they don't look good. So you might get a little bit of a spark from Heineke. You might catch a, a good team that's stumbling at the right time and knock them out. And then, you, then all of a sudden the complexion on this season where it looked so bleak feels so different and I think there's a lot of optimism in, uh, around the commanders if they get that win. So I agree with you. There's um, you said, how did you word that? You're not hopeful. You're curious or something. What'd you say? Yeah. I, I don't remember, but something me, like that. Me yeah. a minute ago five, was a lot five, smarter than me now. Five I'm, seconds, I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, let's yeah, see. I'm, I'm not hopeful, but I'm interested. Yeah. I'm not hopeful. Yeah. Not hopeful, but I'm interested. Like I'm, I'm probably a little bit more hopeful than you. Cause I, I think there's going to be, I think we'll see maybe not a good offense, but something better than what we've seen the past couple of weeks. And that's exciting given how the defense outside of the Chicago game has been playing. Yeah, no, I, I agree that the offense will look better. And obviously, it can't look much worse than it against Chicago. But uh, we will see. And also, you know, we'll see who's back. Uh, Logan Thomas, questionable. John Dotson, questionable. Like, all these guys. Bates, um, right? You know, Bates is out. Yeah, see see what we have by the time the, the final injury report uh, comes out on Friday. Um, you know, they, these guys should, a lot of them, be back. Um, but how that plays into what they're able to do offensively, uh, especially as well. 
against this Green Bay defense that we just talked about. Uh, we will, of course, have all those answers and be able to prepare with all of that knowledge on Sunday for Countdown to Kickoff. We are back in our usual spot, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. We look forward to talking to you on the radio then, of course, on the radio 3 to 6 each and every day uh, for the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 as well. You can check out more of Logan's work on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson82 and on Command Center through the Commander's YouTube channel. Uh, we've got a bunch of clips up on YouTube as well, so if you ever want to watch us talk, see these pretty faces. They put Logan's on television and everything. Uh, you can check out the YouTube page. Just search Craig Hoffman. All right, that's it. That's all for Take Command. Subscribe wherever you're listening. That way you get every single fresh episode like our next one on Monday when we review the game. And we will see you then here in podcast land.